Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to the studio. We are here for our third episode of HR Nightmares presented by Leith HR Group. Uh, this is a podcast and YouTube channel where we talk about all the things we would have put in our HR book had we written one. Um, and so we hope you enjoy and this that we're really trying to appeal to an audience of everybody from other HR managers to managers to employees who want HR experts to weigh in on their own HR nightmares or situations. And so um, we're here with our own team, Leith HR Group's team of HR experts. I've got Amy Conway. Hi. Beth Looney. Hello. And our special guest today is Lindsay Cashin, who is the VP of People Operations at the Honor Foundation. So we're going to do a better job of introducing her in a couple of minutes, but thanks for being here. Happy to be here. Happy to be with some familiar faces. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so the first thing that we love to do is we've been asking all over social media, shout out to Gabby Plume, our wonderful uh, engagement coordinator. We've been reaching out through social media, asking people to send in their anonymous HR nightmares or workplace situations and allow us to weigh in on those and solve some problems or give you our opinions on um, how we think that HR kind of stuff should be handled. So anybody remember the first one that Gabby sent in? I believe it was about flexible work weeks. Yeah, I think it was asking what do we think of the whole four-day work week. That's right. right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So a listener from Raleigh. Uh, thank you. Shout out to Raleigh. This is a market that we're definitely trying to get into. Uh, yes. Uh, somebody from Raleigh asked, what do we think about a four-day work week? So what do we think about it? We love it. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I like a three-day work so week. I really like it. Um, well, one thing I think is really important when you're looking at four-day work week, it's either a compressed week where you're getting your 40 hours in in four days, or it's just lopping off a whole you know, eight hours of, of work. I work with one group right now who ha actually have gone to a 32-hour week. So they chopped off some time on Friday, and they're getting all their work done. So mm -hmm. it's a win-win for mm -hmm. the employees, but then also their clients and their business operations don't get messed up with that schedule. Did they keep all their same benefits, holidays, all PTO? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They're very That's generous nice. in town. I think it's funny because, you know, some of the fear of companies is that loss of productivity and loss of work. But you have to ask yourself, people are working 40 hours. And let's be honest, most people, especially salaried employees at certain job levels, are working well over 40 hours a oh, week, yeah. you yeah. know, 50, mm -hmm. 60, someone, sometimes upwards of it. How much productivity is lost in those hours, right? So it's like, are people really, they are maybe they really log in those 60 hours, but... Are they productive, all 60 of them? And would they be just as productive if we cut that back, but we streamline our efforts to have focused work and more streamline just processes? One thing I know that they were worried about, and some of the groups that I have worked with were worried about, obviously, productivity, what you were talking about, Amy, but also about how their, how their customers, how their clients are going to react to that. So mm. that was a big part of it is really kind of um, – spelling out to their customers, their current client base, what this would mean to them. So like they wouldn't be able to reach somebody on Friday at three o'clock mm. and how, how that would be translated. So I think before you go into something like this, I think you really need to think of it from the customer's perspective too. That yeah. was smart. Yeah. And it, it probably depends on what kind of business you're running, right? If you are a customer facing business, I mean, there's, and you're open for business, right? If you have people walking in <laughs> right. on the street. That's not going to work. 
Maybe not, but then there's also, does everybody need the same days off? Is it a rotational? Like, is there a way to do it but still maintain the integrity of the business for the customer too, right? It's like, so they can't talk to that person on a Friday, but somebody else is available, right? right? right. I think it also depends on the company culture that's already been Mm -hmm. established uh, by the leadership. So is it really um, a culture where there's trust, high levels of trust, and the work is going to be done, and we're going to empower our, you know, employees to be the professionals that we all know that they are? Or is it an opportunity from a hiring and and retention perspective to keep the top talent and with the great resignation going on right Mm -hmm. now, if somebody's not willing to make some pivots and then they're going to look for another job? So I think it's balancing out what a company culture is and really what what's uh, in the need to hit that corporate objective at the end of the day. But at this point, you know, your brand and your reputation is what's driving business and how willing organizations have been to embrace engagement by the mm-hmm. employees. And if this is really something that the base of the organization is looking to do, everybody is going to remain productive. Like yeah. you said, we're putting yeah. in more than the 40 hours or 50 hours. So giving that time off, I think that's a good idea. It's a, you know, I really yeah. do. I hadn't really thought about this until I read the question, but in 2005, I was working in New York City for a, they called it a boutique law firm, but there was like 260 people that worked <laughs> there. Uh, but for Manhattan, it was boutique. But we actually weren't expected to be at work till 9.30 in the morning, and we were, our, we were leaving at 5.30, and we got an hour off for lunch. So it was legit a 35-hour work week yeah. in 2005. And these are, I mean, you know, traditionally kind of like buttoned up lawyers. And in this case, they had JDs and PhDs. It was an intellectual property law firm. Um, but that was, I mean, I don't know if they meant to do that or if they didn't actually like realize that yeah, we were only yeah. working 35 <laughs> hours on the staff. Maybe but they figured Manhattan people needed some commute time into their day. You definitely like, needed an hour and a yeah. half buffer a on your right. start time. It was epic. That's yeah. incredible. That's great. Yeah. Get but all your work out of it. I was 22. I still had a problem like showing up on time. So. <laughs> But it can be done, and you can be you can be you can be productive in in less than forty hours. So you don't have to be yeah. in the office forty hours. Okay. Something that you mentioned too, the great resignation. I think that that is just being beaten into our heads so much. Yeah. Is that doing something like this and really kind of being strategic about how you're going to empower your employees, how you're going to cover your operations? It really is a benefit. And nowadays, people, all employees, are like, "Hey, where am I going to get the most?" most bang for my buck or, you know, they're going to be looking for those jobs that allow them to have that flexibility. So it's good to be competitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's Radical this, flexibility. Yeah. It's yeah. the same thing as organizations giving unlimited PTO. You're trusting that everybody is able to do their work, but you're giving them the the opportunity to in, enjoy life and it gives you a work-life balance. Right. So I think yeah. it's a great thing. Yeah. So I guess to wrap it up, we kind <laughs> of are a fan. <laughs> We're and a big well, fan. We're, we're a fan of having the discussion and actually, but I think that's a big part of it. So I don't know who this person that wrote in, if they're the employee or the employer or whatever, but I think it's something that um, all companies should just be thinking about. I think it's a trend that we're going to continue to kind of see. And if you need help shepherding through that conversation, yeah. you know who to call. We're here. <laughs> we're here. Hey, okay. Um, on to, we actually had a, a real HR nightmare submitted and I guess we'll just kind of talk about it and comment on it but somebody had an employee submit I guess a change form to change their salary and they actually forged their manager's signature on it so they ended up 
firing the employee, of course, which was the right thing to do. Um, but I, I guess I've never had anybody actually try to submit for a salary change uh, and forge a manager's signature. I've had people kind of do dishonest things. But any thoughts on uh, the audacity of a person like this and how they actually ended up on the staff and sticking around? Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting thing because I I kind of reflect back to from a systems aspect, I, you know, knowing you know we had such advanced systems, I don't, it wasn't so much as like you submit a form and someone could forge a signature. Like there were so many approval steps in order to change mm-hmm. a salary at random at some point in the year because normally you know we were just so structured right yeah. i i can't imagine that really happening i've had some other things where things happen like that but um I, I mean i think the only thing to do is what they kind of did which is handle it and unfortunately terminate the employee for dishonesty what's a little strange is yeah the fact that you can just submit a paper form to change a salary like why aren't we having conversations about this person's career progression right, or what yeah, we love about right. this person and it's just a little strange there's a form i was saying, i was gonna say there's i think a lot more to unravel in that topic yeah, right yeah. there we want to know, know more what's there's been right going in. on yeah <laughs> right out yeah but one thing too is funny is you know i work with a lot of small companies really smaller businesses and And I think, you know, there's not duplication of um, positions, right? So there's a person doing payroll or there's a person that might be doing HR. And so I always think it's trust but verify. Mm -hmm. You know, I think especially for our small business clients, they really need to, you know, every now and then just kind of take a dive in and take a look. Yeah. You You just don't want to get caught off guard. That could easily have happened. Right. I could have seen that happening in some of the smaller businesses yeah. that we work with. Right, because they don't have the they advanced don't have all technology of the systems, systems right. to kind of put stoppers in. Um, but I think it's a good, if that happened in your business and it was so easily happened, it might be a good <laughs> time to kind of evaluate your processes for those right. kind of decisions and when they get made and who does need approval on them and whatnot. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah. Well, let's transition our focus over to our guest, Lindsay. Um, again, this is Lindsay Cashin, and why don't you give us your official title over there at the Honor Foundation? My official title is Vice President of People. And you've been there for several years now. I, I've been on staff for a little over two, and I was a volunteer for them for about another two years prior. So I've, I've been ingrained in this organization for some time now. So Lindsay has a long history of working in private industry before working for a nonprofit organization of which the Honor Foundation is helping transition special operations folks out into the civilian workforce. And um, what I would say is if you go out to LinkedIn, connect with Lindsay, definitely please and follow what the Honor Foundation is doing. But uh, her... Her history as an HR business partner and senior business advisor in the human resources function is very impressive. But what I was most impressed was she graduated magna cum laude from NYU with a master's degree. I was like, oh, dang, Uh, we got a smart one coming in today. So (laughs) why don't you tell us a little bit about the Honor Foundation? And when you think of like HR nightmares as it relates to transitioning veterans or veterans in general or businesses being veteran ready, what do you think about? So tell us about the Honor Foundation first. Yeah. So um, you're right. I I do have a master's degree. So and I never would have thought I would end up in Wilmington, North Carolina. But (laughs) here I am. Um, I'm a military spouse. And that's what actually brought me to Wilmington. So um, to all the military spouses out there, keep getting your degrees. It's awesome to have. And there is employment. 
Um, but the Honor Foundation, we are a nonprofit. We are specialized in providing a career education transition program to the special operations community. And really what the purpose of our organization is, is to ensure that when a veteran is transitioning from their career in the military service, they transition seamlessly. So they still find purpose in what they're doing. They still find happiness. They still find financial security. Um, and if that's full-time employment, part-time, becoming an entrepreneur, going to school, we want to be a trusted partner to them in this journey um, and really to peel back the layers of who they are and get back to who they are as a person, their purpose, their values, and their strengths and leverage that. So when I joined THF, I was a volunteer coach and I was paired with a veteran as they were going through transition. And I found that my time with this one gentleman at the time was extremely rewarding personally, professionally, because as I was talking to my colleagues in the private sector, I was translating what this veteran's experiences were over into the business world. And for me, it was just bringing that new level of joy. I was helping a business. I was helping a veteran. I was helping their family. Um, and Wilmington, North Carolina, it's a small community. Special operations is here. They're staying here. They don't really move too often. So there's families that have set up their roots here. So I wanted to make sure that as I worked with veterans, they knew that they can continue working in Wilmington. There was a home for them. There was a purpose. There was a community that was going to embrace their knowledge, skills, experiences. So I kept volunteering. I kept coaching. I kept volunteering for mock interviews. And um, finally, about over two years ago, I called up the leadership and I said, I think I'm ready for a move. Is there anything available for me? And I, I landed here and I have not looked back. It is such a rewarding job for me because I'm not only coaching the veterans as they go through the program, but I get to talk to businesses and employers and I get to share experiences and create experiences with them so they know how to better understand a veteran mindset and a veteran transition and how they could bring value to organizations. So it's a it's a win-win for me. I absolutely love the organization. I love the mission, love the team, but um, I just, I love the impact that it gives. You said something, uh, translate what they did in the military to work. And that to me is the is a huge HR nightmare. And we were big fans when I was at Corning Incorporated of hiring veterans. Um, and one thing that we did to sort of overcome that translation blockade, I guess, was find people who were in that military branch that worked at our plant and ask them, hey, what does this resume actually say? Because before there were organizations like you, um, and a lot of veterans don't have access to people like you because they're not in special ops or maybe they do. I don't know, but they don't utilize it. But a lot of the resumes that we would see were very difficult to understand. And you wanted to believe that it was impressive and these awards meant something really fantastic, but you really had no clue. So it was really, really helpful to get mm -hmm. somebody from that branch to dissect it and break it down to layman's terms. So I would definitely yeah. recommend that when you get a veteran resume and you don't really know what it says, find somebody in at your work or in your personal life to help you break it down. But even more than that, I mean, I think the average time a resume is looked at quickly is seven seconds. Yeah. So it, even the format and, and how you're setting it up and establishing who you are on paper, seven seconds. Where it comes down to is the veteran actually has to be able to highlight who they are in a conversation, whether it's at a networking event, 
interview, however it is. But if they're not comfortable sharing who they are um, and really talking about their experiences in the right audience at the right time, it's not going to make a difference. So that's why I'm so proud. Like, so THF, mm-hmm. it's three months. We work with them for three months on resumes, on personal pitches, how to master behavioral style interviews, and then we continue to serve them as alumni. But during that time, getting to talk to organizations and saying, who is, is in your employee resource group for veterans? Who are your allies for those resource groups? It doesn't need to be a veteran, but who can I speak to and give a learning session on what a translatable skill is to your organization? Yeah. And it's very – it's empowering. It's engaging. It's inspiring when organizations embrace it and say, yes, tell me more because I think I'm better and friendly. And Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what veteran ready means. So what is the difference? So there's a lot of conversations that take place in order to have that veteran be able to share who they are and sell themselves the right Mm -hmm. way. Yeah. What would you say, you know, if I were a company owner and I feel I'm very veteran friendly, but then you say that veteran ready and you think, oh, well, what does that that mean? mean? Right. Like, am I veteran ready? So where do you see the gaps in some of the companies that you go out and work with and say they're veteran friendly, but they're not veteran ready? They've like got here's a, bunch a couple of things they staff. could do. Right, yeah. that, right. That's a big one. Yeah. So I'd say how, how long do they stay there? What mm-hmm. is your retention for the veteran population? What is your additional development plans that you focus on? How do you onboard them and make sure that they're having a mentor from maybe the veteran population of employees who could be a trusted partner to them and answer questions. So I think when veteran-friendly organizations approach it from hiring, it's a a check in the box, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, I'm hiring veterans to do a job, but how long do they stay there? Uh, Are they there for more than six months, seven months, or are they leaving at nine months? But I think if you're a veteran-ready organization, you've at least begun the process of Engaging with the veterans from a DEI and belonging aspect, you've begun opening up the aperture to maybe they're in one role now, but they could make a move to a different position because their skills are going to be utilized better somewhere else. So mm-hmm. how how embracing are you of the different experiences and skills that they bring? Because the veteran yeah. population brings such a unique talent. They already are coming from a diverse group of teammates. They're already coming from uh, more than often very educated individuals these days. And I think that's one of those biases and stereotypes from the past that you either went to college or you joined the military. Mm -hmm. But I know I serve individuals who have JDs. They've got PhDs. They've got degrees from Mm -hmm. Harvard and Wharton. So it's overcoming those obstacles and those biases in addition to saying, how are you hiring them? That makes the difference, I think, to say that I'm a veteran-ready organization. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about some of those stereotypes. So I know that I've worked with hiring managers before that say, oh, vets, they're too rigid. They need constant instruction. They're task-oriented. I mean, so the stereotypes are an HR nightmare in themselves. So how do we need to think about and, and you know, maybe that might be true, you know, and but that's true in any pocket of talent pools. So how do we overcome that and how do we need to think about getting veteran ready and not having some HR nightmares when we onboard people? Like, let's talk about the stereotypes. Yeah. So I think from the hierarchy part, 
there's no difference from a hierarchy in the veteran population service and then in organizations. If your organization is set up as a hierarchy, then your employees are going to be rigid in their salary grades, pay grades, titles, Mm -hmm. career ladders. But I think what's very unique with the veteran population is as much as they have a senior leader and, and teammates below them, they are always working in a matrix organization. They are responsible for the decisions that they make. Their actions are going to impact those around them. So they wear those multi-hat layers where they're influencing all around them. And I think from an HR advice or nightmare perspective, it's not going in with blinders thinking that they need that rigid, structured environment to succeed. They're coming from an environment that has been very empowering to them to leverage and use their skills. And they also have a very shorter learning curve when it comes to technical um, skills. And I think when you look at the organization of of veterans, so often you're hit on, oh, they're a shooter. They know how to shoot their their guns. Such a large part of the population is not that from the military. Mm -hmm. They are cyber. They are IT. They are intelligence, engineers, communication, supply chain. Right. And so there's just – it's so easy to translate their experiences over removing those blinders. Yeah. Yeah. That's really – I mean, I just think of, you know, okay, so part of then overcoming some of those stereotypes, if if that's happening – is like, you know, I don't think they're any different than the rest of our population employees that soft skills is an area of development for a lot of people, right? So it's like, what are you doing as a company and organization to have more learning and more development and more upskilling in some of those areas where veterans or anybody else really has those same kind of opportunities? Yeah. One of the things I love to do is when I'm working with an employer around talent and explaining what a veteran brings, I share with them the names of people who I'm serving at the Honor Foundation. I say, just have a cup of coffee, have a conversation with John Doe or Jane Smith, and just talk to them about their experiences and and come back to me and tell me what you learned. And it's a moment where individuals like swallow and they say, okay, I actually learned an awful lot. Like I went in thinking that this person was just going to tell me about military operations. And actually what I learned was that they're statesmen, they're diplomats, they know how to effectively communicate across pillars of businesses and governments. So if I could provide learning moments for others, it's a learning moment for the veteran too, Mm -hmm. because they're practicing who they are and how to talk about themselves. Good. Yeah. All super good reasons to um, hire a vet. One time, uh, one of the companies I worked for, we hired somebody that was a vet um, an army veteran in, in the supply chain. And I'm telling you what, like we thought we were doing well with our supply chain pro- processes <laughs> and procedures. We had that thing running, like honestly, the best. And it was really, I think it was their experience that they were drawing on, um, being able to look at a problem systematically and saying, hey, you know, this is how we can improve this process. And um, everyone was on board because we felt like that person really knew what they were talking about, you mm-hmm. know? So we really kind of changed a lot of our processes Um, following their lead. Yeah. I mean, it's an extremely resourceful group of individuals. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're extremely innovative because they have a budget that they need to come in under all the time. And and one of those ideas is that it's it's DOD. They have an unlimited budget to spend. No, not the case. So when they really are missing gear parts or, or missing key programs and systems to utilize, they need to work with what they have. So the ability to pivot and be agile. It's all of these 
core soft competencies that you're talking about, they've been able to demonstrate in their day-to-day experiences. So it's it's a fascinating group of individuals, but they are coming from all different walks of life. Um, and I think that's one of the great, beautiful things about a veteran is that they're bringing their personal experiences, their home lives, uh, friendships, and they're bringing their brother and sisterhoods of the veteran population into their next their next journey. What would you suggest if a company has no veterans on staff and they really haven't delved into that idea for you know bringing on some some talent in the veteran pool? What would you suggest that were the first steps that they should do? Besides shamelessly plug the Honor Foundation right now and you know <laughs> yes. go to Honor. Yeah. Um, Call uh, I would I think it's it's one of those talk to community members, go to local chamber of commerces. There's plenty of veterans out there and just ask the question. I think here in Wilmington, the Chamber of Commerce is an outstanding resource because all you have to do is stand up and say, I'm looking to place veterans in employment opportunities. And you have a lot of individuals who want to come back and help. So nobody likes asking for help, actually, too, because then it's, you know, maybe it's an area that we need to strengthen for opportunities or it's a weakness. But it's a stepping stone and it's a small baby step to do what's right. Um, the veteran population is going to continue to grow and I, it's going to be one of those areas that organizations need to focus on. But I definitely would say ask for help. Ask for other contacts, individuals who are trusted to you and who what they've done. That's good. And look, at the end of the day, being veteran ready is just being ready. So like veterans expect that you're going to have a plan for them, that you're going to set them up for success, that maybe you might pair them up with a buddy, that you have an actual onboarding plan, that they have the tools, the resources. Hey, they've got a computer. It's turned on. Mm -hmm. They can get into their email. They can get in the shared files. Like these are just like basic onboarding things that we oftentimes like forget are important for all employees. So being veteran ready is being ready. And the other thing that my veteran friends have told me about, shout out to Colonel Rob Campbell. Um, it's your Sarge here. Uh, but <laughs> what he taught me was that there's a component that we often forget about, which is about including family. And uh, you mentioned that you're a military spouse. But what's what's really important when you're in the military, as I understand, um, is that they care for the whole family unit and not just the soldier. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a lot to be learned from that in business because the more that you can include somebody's whole self in what they're bringing to work and have family friendly events every once in a while. I know that can't happen all the time, but you know, even just knowing a little something about somebody's personal life or family is important. And so I don't know if you have any thoughts in general about that aspect of being ready and veteran ready. Yeah. So and then I'll add something because I had another thought too. Okay. So the veterans uh, who I serve love teams. They love being on small teams. They love influencing and, and making an impact in lives. They come from a very trusting environment. They know each other's families. Um, so as I am serving fellows, as they go through the program, they're saying, I want an organization that I could include my family in. So I'm going to know my peers. I'm going to know who I'm working with. Um, and it's very family oriented. And, and I, I use family loosely because everybody's going to define family differently. Mm-hmm. Yep. But it's going to be an organization that recognizes at the end of the day, there's a wife, a spouse, a partner, you know, a husband, there's children. And especially now with COVID and, and everybody being online 24 seven, it's okay not to be online at eight o'clock at nine o'clock at night because he or she's going to be with her family or his family. 
So I think that's one of the the big things for an organization to look at is a work-life balance. And where is that in your values and your mission and your purpose that you are embracing that? Um, and if you're not, it's not just the veteran population that you're putting at risk. It's mm-hmm. your employee everybody. base and everybody from all the other yeah. resource groups. It's funny that you say that because, like, the more things we talk about, the more it's just like, it is not that much different than what you should be doing for everyone, right? Yeah. I think it's funny, though. Sometimes that's a lot of lip service. Like, oh, we are very family friendly. But then there's mm-hmm. the phone calls at 8 o'clock. Like, why aren't you picking up? Why aren't you picking up my mm-hmm. text? Right. You know, at 9 p.m. or on a Sunday yeah. or something like that. So we have to be really aware of not just giving that lip service and actually living the words. I mean, for my team, we we start our day when we start our day, whether it's 8 o'clock to talk to employers or 9 o'clock. But we're in the classroom with our fellows because our classes are at night. So we're in the classroom until 9, 9.30 at night. Um, every Friday, I'm slacking my team saying, shut down. Yeah. Enjoy the weekend. Don't work. And I'll get on Slack as a leader. And if I see it being green on the weekend, I say, shut down. <laughs> Stop working. Because you know, yeah. you're if you have burnout, you're not going to come to work with your authentic passion that you have to help right. people. So you have to find a balance to it. So I'm not going to serve the veteran population and their family any better if I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to love my job. So it's important that my leader doesn't do that to me either. And he doesn't. So I'm very proud about yeah. that. But Lisa, you touched on something another nightmare to consider is one of the conversations I always have is around salary. So if I'm serving individuals who are 20 plus years in active duty service, oftentimes the employers know that they're getting a pension or that (laughs) I could look up for public knowledge what somebody has been making because I now know that John has, he's married with two kids. And his benefits are taken care of. And his benefits are taken care Mm -hmm. of. So there's a whole aspect of approaching a veteran as an equal applicant to somebody Absolutely. who has not who does not have that 20 year pension. And that's a nightmare when mm-hmm. you really yeah. think about it from an HR perspective because it's a slip of a tongue in a conversation saying, "Well, will you actually need benefits?" Mm-hmm. And you're like, "Well, why are you not going to offer me benefits? Are you assuming I'm not going to take advantage of right. it?" So it opens up a lot of risk for companies too. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I want to pivot for a minute, Lindsay, because there may be people listening to this that are like, wow, this is incredible work and I'm passionate, but I don't know how to find an organization like this to volunteer with or to do some work with. So what are the kind of things that you need our audience members to help participate in to support the Honor Foundation? So yeah, and that's a great question because uh, we are nationwide. <laughs> so for the special operations community, we're the, the 1% of the 1% who serve the, the nation. So um a lot of ways. Individuals can engage and their organizations can engage. We do an outstanding event for mock interviews where we put everybody through behavioral style uh, type questions. Five or six. It's like speed dating, just mock interviews. We've all done it. We've all done it. Yeah. And it's, it's, all it's how I started doing Highly it. Highly recommend. Um, and, and I think that that's a great because there's no expectations of employment afterwards. There's no expectations that uh, if I meet with you, you're going to get me a job. It's value-added feedback that you can give somebody in their journey of transition. Um, and at that point, everybody wants to have the feedback. They yeah. want that honest conversation around, here's how you could have answered a question a little differently. Right. Um, but there's also opportunities to bring our cohorts to your organization so we could learn what your company culture is and open that aperture to say, 
Maybe I want to work in finance. Maybe that culture is not for me. Maybe I want to work in construction. Mm-hmm. I love being outside. I love leading large projects. I'm good at it. So there's there's a lot of ways to do it. There's always an opportunity to come and just listen to the classes, observe, hear what we're talking about, and contribute your own points of view throughout. Um, it, it really is – the opportunities are endless, really. Good. Yeah. Find me on LinkedIn, email me, whatever it is. But there's plenty of opportunities. Yeah. Plenty of opportunities. Yeah, that's great. What about on the flip side for if there's veterans listening and they want support and they're interested? Is it widely known? I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's widely known, but is there are there resources? Where should they go? Yeah. So I, I'm always I'm gonna be biased for the special operations community. Come to the Honor Foundation. I think we've um really hit the mark and differentiated us from other organizations in the veteran space just because of the extent of our program, the support we provide, the additional professional development. We give everybody an executive coach. We've got over 500 mentors, and these are all seasoned professionals who are not being paid to speak to you and give you their insight. So they're really authentic individuals who want to help. Um but for organization, you know, for other veterans out there, if it's not the Honor Foundation, simply look up veteran service organizations in your area. You're going to get a mm-hmm. list on Google of all the different companies and organizations, nonprofits that are out there to help. Larger organizations also have a lot of resources. So Salesforce is a phenomenal organization that provides uh, – it's called Military Trailblazers. So all additional certifications and training that veterans can take to – improve and strengthen their Salesforce skills. So it's just, it takes time and transition takes time. So Mm -hmm. don't rush it, but make sure you're researching the resources out there. If you have a passion for IT, look at additional IT certifications, go to your base locations, uh, onward to opportunities, a great one here locally. Um, There's just, yeah, there's a lot. When I really think about it, there's a lot of resources. Yeah, I think it's good. I mean, I think that's helpful to tell people what resources are out there for them and how to find them and and get some help because that transition can be really challenging if you try to do it alone and without the right resources. Yeah. And I you know, and that's it. You're not doing it alone. Mm-hmm. So, we've got over 1300 alumni. We're young. We're we're only, you know, yeah. 7 years old. Mm-hmm. Um this year or this cohort, we're serving over 200 and the summer we'll serve over 200, this fall, wow. over 200. So, so incredible. And so Amazing. their network is now the next incoming cohort's network. So it's a new tribe of support, which I think is very important because at the beginning of cohorts, we always put up what is what do you think about transition? What makes it so scary? And it's that loss of community or that loss of identity and purpose. Mm-hmm. And so now if they could hear from others who have gone through transition – that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. You're going to find happiness. You will find a job that pays you well. You can pick up your kids at the end of the day at school. It's there. Yeah. It's it adds a sense of okay. I could I could go through this process right. and make it. Yeah. Everyone everyone needs that kind of group of people. Yeah, really right. support them through. I, I think love that's it. true. You and know, so everyone needs that kind of support. And business resource groups for organizations they're phenomenal, but. When I talk to employers and they say, I want to have more veterans join our veteran resource group, I say, yes, they probably will. But they will also join the other resource groups that you have, mm-hmm. right? They're going <laughs> to join women in technology. Right, They're right. going to join. The, so, you know, be open-minded that don't bucket somebody 
into that one group. Yeah. Allow them to be who they are in the other groups as well. And we used learn. to hear that a lot, you know, in my corporation that we, we had a veterans resource group. But they're like, I have so many of those resources in my life. I, I want to be a part of women in technology and you know, just all of the various resource groups that we had. So it is hard. It's like you have to allow people to join what they want to join, not what we think they yeah. should join. Exactly. Yeah. I always like juicy stories. Got any? <laughs> oh. None that I'm going to share. No. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of great stories of, of veterans transitioning who – just land extremely well and, and they're happy. And then there are those stories of veterans who it's not for them. They they come in thinking that they just want to make a whole lot of money and get their next job. Um, and at the end of the day, they're like, I do not like this job at all. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not cut out for it. Um, so, you know, for who I serve right now, I'm very blessed that everybody finds that level of fulfillment and it's it's great. But back in my private sector days, yeah, there were some very interesting stories about all of a sudden it was a, a veteran who we were putting on a, a pip or something, or it was a veteran who, uh, you know, took some company property. And you're like, huh, hmm. does it matter if they're a veteran? I don't understand. Right, right. But it, it's, it's it, yeah, when you think about it, it's just like the person who forged just a signature. Right. It's just a person. Right. Um, but I'm, you know, very lucky for who we serve right now. These individuals are the best of the best, and they conduct themselves as such. So awesome. I've got no no juicy stories to share about them. Well, good. That's just uh, more reason that everybody should go out and check out the Honor Foundation and connect with Lindsay on LinkedIn. So I want to thank you for being here. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks yeah. for your time. I know it's valuable. Um, and I will turn it over to Amy to do the plug. Yeah. So just a reminder, Lindsay, why don't you tell us one more time where we can find you? So you can find me on LinkedIn and you can find me at honor.org or my email is just very simple, lindsay at honor.org. Okay, so. good. And we'll make sure to put that in the show notes. And you can find us on Instagram at Leith HR Group or subscribe to us on YouTube, Leith HR, HR Nightmares. It's the podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcast and make sure like, Click that bell so you get notified when new episodes drop. Also connect with Beth Looney, Lisa Leith, or Amy Conway on LinkedIn. We love expanding our network. And I hope everybody enjoyed this episode. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for it.